0: The Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Luxury Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit Luxury.com.au to find out how. Hello, and once again, a warm welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Eliza Hull is a musician, writer, journalist and disability advocate. She was a contributor to Growing Up Disabled in Australia, edited by Carly Findlay, and has now collected and edited a new volume of stories by disabled parents, We've Got This. Eliza, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: As a society, we're increasingly aware of the challenges faced by people with disabilities, but we rarely hear and don't know much about the challenges they face in raising children, what should we know?
1: Really, families in the home are just like every other family. I've had experience getting to know each family within this book and all of them are thriving families. But what each family deals with is actually the attitudes and the discrimination out in society, whether that be when we are at the maternal health nurse, whether that be when we're in hospitals and delivering our babies are also just out in the community. It's the, the attitudes that need to shift and the discrimination that we face that needs to change, not what actually happens inside the home because what you notice uh, when, you, when you read this book is that each family are very creative and flexible and adaptive in uh, being wonderful parents because as people with disability, we have had to be that all our lives. We've had to be great problem solvers. For instance, um, my disability, it's a physical disability and I often have to find creative ways to get inside buildings or inside um, people's homes because of my disability. And so I am a creative thinker and I have to be flexible and adaptive. And I think that uh, all, all parents really need those skills And so we are just um, that bit more set up (laughs) to be uh, great parents.
0: And all of these things are borne out in the stories that you've collected, of course. And we can trace the origins of this book back to the We've Got This podcast series, uh, which was on ABC's Radio National. What prompted you to seek out these stories in the first place and then to put them in print?
1: So it's seven years ago, I was pregnant with my daughter, um, Isabel, and I was really just seeking stories that I could feel that I was represented in. I wanted to know what it would look like being a parent with disability and what it would feel like. And I, I could not find anything. There, was, there wasn't a book out there, even though you get given all these parenting books, there's so many of them. There wasn't one that uh, spoke about the experiences of being a disabled parent. And when I went online and, and tried searching, the narrative around parenting with a disability was, it was not a positive one. It was always framed in, in a negative way or a deficit kind of model. And so at that point, I realised that there really is a gap it became apparent that a a podcast would be a great starting point and there was a scholarship with the ABC and so I applied and it was one of uh, Radio National's most successful series, which made me realise how needed a series like this was. But in the the back of my mind after the series was launched, I just... I wasn't (laughs) I wasn't finished I knew that there had to be a book and so luckily Black Ink were you know very keen on the idea and now there will be a um, publication worldwide as well with Scribe which will come out at the end of the year Uh, and so yeah I'm just very excited that this book will be out there because it was really a book that I was seeking uh, when I was pregnant and I just hope that It can be that book for that person with disability wanting to know what it would be like to be a parent with disability. But I also hope that it will reach non-disabled people because I guess that's where a lot of the attitudes do have to shift, especially within the medical field.
0: There's a lot of discussion around the terms used to describe disability, but one in particular caught my attention, disability pride. How would you define that term and, and how does it advance the way we talk about disability?
1: For a, a very long time, rightfully so, the disability community fought for person-first language and that was because for a long time in the media and in and many other places, uh, people used words like handicapped or special or uh, differently abled and so... or, or even the disabled, which is very othering, using the disabled. And so uh, the human rights disability movement, were, we want to be known as people first. But now we're at a different point where we're not having to remind everybody that we are people. We're at a point now where our disability pride and identity is one that we are proud of, and that, um, you know, I, I'm very proud to be disabled. In fact, there's been many positives in, in being disabled. One of them is the, the community and pride. And I have a lot of great disabled friends and a community that I can rely on and one where we advocate for change and have deeper purpose and meaning. And so we feel we don't need to remind people that we're people first, we actually see it as an, as an identity and, and want to put that disabled identity first.
0: Before we talk about the individual contributions uh, in this book, can we talk first about your own disability and its impact on your own thoughts when you first fell pregnant?
1: Because there wasn't that representation out there, as I was speaking about, there wasn't a book or anything around parenting with disability. I was worried and concerned of how I was going to manage. Uh, I have a physical disability. It's called Charcot-Marie-Tooth. So it's a neurological condition that I've had since I was a child. It affects the way I walk. I fall over regularly. Um, I have muscle loss, sensation loss, and I have freezing cold legs, even when it's 40 degree day. I'm in pain, fatigued. Um, I walk differently. I can't get upstairs. And I was worried about what that would look like, how I was going to be pregnant, what what happens if I fall over. Also, I mean, I have a 50% chance of passing on my disability to my children. And so that, because I know what uh, society looks like and I know about the discrimination that I have faced, I've had people stop me on the street and pray for me. I've had people laugh at me. Uh, people stare at me every day, really. And so I knew that these barriers, that the, the, the attitudes and the physical barriers are complicated and hard it, what that was a really tricky decision of of having children even to begin with. But I but I go back to just stating how much it actually has been a positive thing for me. It's enabled me to have, you know, just be empathic person, thoughtful. I guess I've written more songs because of it. I'm more creative, um, problem solver. And I've had a wonderful life. So in the end, I chose to decide to have children. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad that I listened because I have two wonderful children. And really the the hardest things about being a parent with a disability is, again, it's not the things in the home. I think the hardest times were when I uh, was in the medical system. I was told by my neurologist that I shouldn't have children when um, I had the ultrasound, I was the person opened up their mouth and was shocked that I was I could pass on my disability. I was told after having my first child, even though it was a successful birth, successful pregnancy, they could see I had a, a wonderful child. They still told me, "Don't have any more." Um, yeah, I think it's just the the assumptions that are still in the, the medical system that make you feel like you can't and make you feel like you shouldn't, which in the end can really affect a lot of people and ultimately it's like erasure of disability. So that's what it seems like, that they don't want disability in the world and um, that can feel really hurtful when you are disabled because it makes you feel like they don't They think that you shouldn't exist or that more people like you shouldn't exist.
0: We've got this gathers together. Some very touching reflections on individual experience. Um, And I'd like to start with Deborah Keenahan. Mrs Keenahan, there's a problem with the baby. She has dwarfism. And this is how a doctor told Deborah's mother that her baby had a chondroplasia. Despite that beginning, and this is partly a, a wonderful story about a family coming together in support, but... When Deborah herself fell pregnant some decades later, she was confronted with a similar attitude from her own gynaecologist. I wish you'd come to me earlier. I could have done something about this. That kind of suggested to me that over the course of several decades, not very much had changed. But are things changing?
1: I think ultimately, yes. I think things are changing because we are starting to see this representation. Books like this exist and they, it's becoming a priority now. Diversity is something that is not only important, but it actually has to start happening and there's real shifts happening. But still many parents with disability come to me and tell me stories that are happening just yesterday (laughs) where these very experiences are continually happening, where you're told that we could have fixed that, we could have gotten rid of your child and, Talking about Deborah's experience, she, she's a person with dwarfism, she has a chondroplasia. And if you look at her child now, Sarah, who's in her 20s now, and she's like incredible. You know, she's been on TV, she's studying, she wants to be a vet. She's a beautiful person. And so to think that this medical professional told Deborah that she shouldn't exist is just very hard to to swallow. Like, it's just horrible, isn't it? And I think it's really where the shift needs to take place. I think every chapter within this book shows how much needs to shift within the medical field. So this is where I really hope this book reaches. Having a chondroplasia and and being short-statured is one of the most discriminated against disability. And I think that that comes from representation on TV and in movies. We often see short-statured people ridiculed and laughed at. Deborah speaks about within her chapter, the discrimination that she has faced. For instance, there is a story where she talks about it in, in the bank where a mother um, tells her child that she's short-statured because she hasn't eaten her vegetables.
0: I like the way she uses the term careless parenting, by others that is, not by herself.
1: She goes on to talk about a a parenting experience where where a child is curious and kind and comes up to Deborah and her daughter and wants to know why she has a disability and why she is short-statured and does so in a curious and kind way. And I think that it's, um, I think a lot of parents that have children are confused as to what to do when it comes to disability. Like, are we allowed to step in and, and uh, speak about disability and come up to you and speak to you? And I think that the more that we tell our children not to look or not to ask questions, as long as we're curious and kind in a kind way, I think that if we, we stop our children from stepping in, we're creating more stigma. And we're creating a a, a don't look, don't look and shh, you're not allowed to look. That actually, for me, I think creates this idea that disability is something to be feared.
0: You spoke earlier about the creative solutions that uh, disabled people have to invent, come up with in order to parent in the best way they can. And I was really quite in awe of the solutions that Leah and Ben Van Poppel found for their baby, Max. Now, Leah is deafblind and Ben is blind. And then Leah found that she couldn't breastfeed, but they found ways around it. And in a way, it actually helped them to spread the load of parenthood.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was not due to... Leah's uh, disability that she couldn't breastfeed. It was due to another condition that she developed. But yes, this actually did enable Ben to, to take over the load and they actually used technology to be able to mix the right formula. They also used um, a veterinary syringe to be able to make the exact formula in the, the right way, and which can be really hard for any parent <laughs> at 2 a.m but also a parent that is blind, they really showed how you can do it in a creative way.
0: And, of course, there's this uh, one-of-a-kind pram that uh, they invented or designed.
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, because Leah uses a guide dog and um, Ben uses a cane, they have a device called a pram toe. The pram is, is towed kind of on the side or behind, almost behind them, so that they can use their their guide dog or their cane, as well as pushing their child safely in the pram.
0: Brilliant. Disability is a part of human variation. That's what Jackie Brown's response was to the process of screening embryos she was confronted with while undertaking IVF. Jack's story is, is one from the point of view of an intersex person. Can you tell me a little bit about Jack's experience?
1: Yeah, so Jack's identifies as non-binary and they also identify as queer. Their experience is really fueled with a lot of discrimination, even when they were considering having children because they had to conceive using IVF. They went to um, meetings with um, other people that were also in the IVF process and those people were starting to discuss how they could screen out for disability, how they could screen their embryos and make sure that their children weren't disabled, which was very confronting for Jax and um, they speak about this in, in their chapter, about what that feels like when you're in a a big room with all these people discussing how they can make sure that their children are not disabled. And here you are as a wheelchair user sitting in this room just feeling like like, you know, they they see you as something that should disappear. Again, when they went through the IVF process, they were constantly reminded, and if not reminded, but actually pressured into screening for, for disability. Constantly told that this is what they should do, that they should make sure that they don't have a child with disability. But Jax was very definite in stating that, well, I'm disabled, and I've got so many great friends that are disabled. I don't want to screen for disability. That's that's you know ultimately their choice. Yeah, again, it's just that those attitudes that need to shift and those assumptions of that disability is a deficit and a bad thing and a negative thing and something that we need to screen and and get rid of ultimately.
0: There's a really shocking statistic that you raise in uh, We've Got This. 60% of parents with an intellectual disability will have their children taken by the state. Heather Smith's story was heartbreaking, particularly because she was never given the chance to prove herself as a mother and never offered any support. Why do authorities immediately assume they won't make good and loving parents?
1: Oh, goodness. It's a, it's such a, I mean, ultimately, I don't really know because, again, I'm so ingrained in the disability community and ingrained within um, the the parenting community of, of also parents with intellectual disability. And I'm seeing the opposite time and time again of parents with intellectual disability parenting very, very well. And they make loving, compassionate, caring parents and um, there are parents within this book that really prove that as well we have a story in here of of, um Jacqueline and Gary and Jacqueline has an intellectual disability and you know that family is is doing very very well but I think that what what actually ends up happening is that again it starts in the in the, the hospital where people don't know how to support these parents and so what ends up happening is the hospital sends them to a parenting uh, centre and generally the parenting centre again are not trained and equipped with um, supporting these parents and so they end up bringing child protection to seek advice and child protection are very quick to make judgment and Ultimately, what ends up happening is if there's not a large family support network around this, this particular parent or parents, then children are removed. And it's heartbreaking. And I've actually proven how damaging it is not only for the parent, but for the child and not being able to be with their own parent. And ultimately, it falls on uh, systems like the NDIS or other systems, uh, the government funded to not be giving the adequate support to these parents. Uh, Heather Smith in her chapter speaks about just really ultimately seeking support, just needing help, but she wasn't given any support. All she, all, the only support she was given was um, meal preparation support and not any support with looking after her child. And that's what she was so desperately seeking. Ultimately, these children really do belong with their parents with the appropriate supports in place. I'm not saying that that's across the board. Of course, there are going to be parents that can't look after their children for for whatever reason. You know, there are many parents that can't look after their children, whether they're disabled or not. So I think Uh, more support needs to be in place so that these parents can be the parents that they know they can be and ought to be given the chance to parent.
0: Carol Taylor's story is one of a really incredible partnership, Um, a quadriplegic as a result of a car accident. Carol's experience is one of a very high-risk pregnancy.
1: You know, her story is so beautiful because she always wanted to have children and she acquired her disability later in life and it took a very very long time for her and her partner to have children. Uh, They went through IVF attempt after IVF attempt and unfortunately she just kept having miscarriages and uh, luckily like just as they were about to give up they actually fell pregnant naturally but it wasn't an easy pregnancy um, but one that you know, again, they showed real creativity in the way that they, her and her partner adapted and ways to carry her son. She had a, a tray on her wheelchair to carry him. And that became a real source of delight for her child as he grew up. And they used to play games on her wheelchair. And uh, she, yeah, again, has a very supportive oh. husband. But Carol, you know, she's so determined. And now they have a, a gorgeous teenage son, Darcy, who is very proud to have a parent with disability and is becoming just a, such a gorgeous young man.
0: Despite the obstacles that many of the individuals in this book have faced, there's quite a lot of positive stories too, some positive outcomes. But are the changes in attitude from health professionals and from the general public happening fast enough and are they comprehensive enough enough? And as an extension to that, what would you like to see less of and what would you like to see more of?
1: I really hope that this book uh, will start to shift these attitudes and luckily a lot of the major hospitals have taken real interest in this book, especially within the maternity wards. So I hope that this, uh, I guess, educates um, medical professionals and that we start to see... uh, a reduction of the discrimination and the assumptions that a lot of people within the medical field still today uh, hold. I want to see um, people start to, to realise that having a disability is not a negative and that we can make great parents and we do make great parents. I want to see people give uh, people with intellectual disability the support so that they can keep their children because ultimately children belong with their parents.
0: Eliza Hull, thank you so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
0: I've been talking to Eliza Hull about her new book, We've Got This, Stories by Disabled Parents. It's published by Black Inc and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxure Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxure Read subscription today? Visit luxureread.com.au to find out how.